Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national women's current affairs program produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on Wondery Country of the Kulin Nations and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Aoife Cook. As we move into 2018 and the dust settles on the marriage equality bill, which has now moved into law, and a few more wedding bells have started ringing, this week's show looks to what's next for LGBTIQ plus communities across Australia and the campaigns, struggles and celebrations ahead. <laughs> Bizarrely, I was in New Zealand and I managed to ring through to my staff who... Uh, had me live on and as I was listening to it so I could hear them all scream and go crazy way before (laughs) I knew exactly what had happened so I figured we'd got up. (laughs) That was our first guest on today's show describing the moment that the marriage equality bill passed in November last year. In just a moment I'll ask her to introduce herself and describe the impacts of the postal vote on the health of the communities she works with. Later, we'll speak to Lee Carney of the Human Rights Law Centre, and we'll talk about the outstanding legal issues that LGBTIQ plus communities are pushing to change across Australia. But now, back to our first guest. My name's Karen Field, and I'm the uh, CEO of Drummond Street Services, Queer Space, Step Families Australia, and the Centre for Family Research and Evaluation. For the last two years, uh, there's been some horrific um, social commentary in relation to LGBTI uh, people and to young people, uh, not only in terms of marriage equality, but also uh, in particular around the Safer Schools program. And so we've seen um, a steady kind of twofold increase of uh, people, particularly in psychological distress, seeking services um, around a, a whole range of things, but talking largely to um, the distress that they were feeling about the commentary uh, of politicians, of community members uh, directed at them. Uh, and in addition to that, there was uh, really clear examples where people in workplaces and schools and early childhood centres, you name it, uh, and just out in the public, where people were experiencing very overt um, abuse, uh, physical, verbal abuse, because of their sexuality or their gender. Uh, So for a long time now, um, this commentary, I think, has given licence to a small but uh, group of people who are both homophobic and transphobic uh, and given them almost a licence to enact uh, you know, their hate uh, on our community in a whole range of ways. 
And that impacts, um, you know, physical health and mental health and relationships and a whole range and just everyday people feeling safe. I mean, I remember um, hearing one group of people, um, uh, particularly the the trans community, just trying to um, get a taxi and taxis refusing to pick them up. Um, Three trans people were assaulted uh, and no one jumped in. The police were hesitant, um, well, slow to react at that time, at, and not seeing it as a as a hate crime in terms of uh, them being chased and attacked uh, out in the community. So we've seen, you know, um, this kind of cumulative experience of this uh, community living their lives, uh, having to justify their existence. Um, you know, in very, very public ways. The website and the public debate highlighted within queer communities some interesting issues um, in terms of how people view their relationship. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the, the plebiscite was a great thing for, for a lot of people, but um, it also had impacts that we didn't, um, we should have seen coming and, and could have... Uh, Avoided, I think, in a range of ways, uh, particularly for our trans community, um, and that I mean that not only from the No campaign, but I think aspects of the Yes campaign erased our trans community in a range of ways. Um, Can you describe some of what that looked like? Well, I don't think, um, you know, I can remember seeing some of the kind of Yes campaign um, advertisements that talked about gay people or lesbian people or same-sex marriage. Um, and, you know, for that, I think that was very hurtful. There was a lot of whitewashing. There was a lot of, um, for a lot of people, it was just about, um, you know, making our relationships be absolutely perfect. Um, and, uh, I think that had some unanticipated consequences as well um, in terms of for a whole range of people, um, it made it made people evaluate and reflect on their relationships and not always was that a positive thing. Our data in terms of numbers of people that rang up seeking support from Respect, which is our um, family relationship and in particular family violence, service um, that for some people reflecting on their relationships at that time uh, meant that for the first time ever they were able to see their relationships as being both violent or or uh, abusive um, and I heard from a, a range of people um, whose relationships actually broke down during that time um, so it's really hard when you're partner, your abusive partner is expecting you to stand up there as the, you know, the recruitment poster for marriage equality, etc. And you're recognising the fact that you're in an abusive relationship. 
And in what ways were people pushed to reflect on their relationships? Um, I can remember even um, seeing, you know, uh, Facebook generating um, these kind of portrait sort of border cards of where you and your partner had to stand up and say, yeah, we're voting, you know, we're ready to marry and please let us marry and vote yes and we're voting yes and all this sort of stuff. Um, And that people felt, some people felt very uncomfortable being forced and felt forced to do that when they were feeling really unhappy about their relationship. So um, surprisingly, certainly our data went up at that time and people did speak of um, it really made them evaluate um, what their relationship was like. Um, The LGBTI community is no different from the mainstream or or heterosexual community in terms of um, having the experience of some in terms of intimate partner violence and family violence. Um, For us, it makes perfect sense in a range of ways when you see higher rates of sex and gender diverse children and young people experiencing family violence. We know that 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 can be a risk factor for both being a victim but also being a perpetrator. Um, And you couple that with higher rates of AOD use and mental health and um, disconnection from family. So we see some particular challenges around intimate partner violence and family violence within the LGBTI community um, that works against people from seeking help or telling other people, um, especially at a time when we only want to showcase the very best of that our relationships measure up to our heterosexual peers, even if that's steeped in mythology. <laughs> uh, I think the LGBTI community has always been um you know uh up for the challenge of supporting each other um and you know the phenomenal number of voluntary ground up community organizations that every day of the week often unfunded with volunteers provide peer support um and help uh people through coming out processes through the disconnection from family all those sorts of things Um, But we've needed really uh, to build specialist knowledge how to best support and and provide services to this community. So Queer Space is um, in a range of ways quite phenomenal in the fact that it is building a body of practice and programs driven by an express need by the community but also delivered by the community. Um, So we're building our own research. If we don't know what the issues are or we don't know the pathways to those issues, how do we best support people and and try to uh, prevent issues from arising rather than, you know, trying to help people with complex issues way later where the impacts are so great. Um, And I think we um, have, you know, done some phenomenal work in that space across mental health, across alcohol and drug, um, across queer parenting, uh, supporting families who have gender diverse children and young people um, to really uh, try and do something about altering these uh, these poor statistics. Across Australia, you are listening to Women on the Line on the Community Radio Network. Lee Carney is a lawyer with the Human Rights Law Centre, a 
and with her colleague Anna Brown, went to the High Court challenging the postal plebiscite, and so was closely involved. My name's Lee Carney. I'm a lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre in our LGBTI rights unit. So I work towards removing every last stain of discrimination in our law that treats LGBTI people as second-class citizens. She was in Canberra when the vote passed, and it was an emotional time. I was on the floor of the House of Representatives, and I was there for the final vote. It was such an incredible moment. Um, um, And everyone, it was packed out. There were so many people who'd come to Canberra to see the vote and were on the edge of their seats. And when it finally went through, there was this roar of pure joy as everyone was so relieved and happy that we finally would have marriage equality in Australia. Um, And we were talking, there was a big debate between all the LGBTI community advocates about what song we were going to sing, predictably, the day of the vote. Um, But when um, everyone started singing, it was actually a really emotional moment. A lot of people who weren't expecting to be really touched and to feel really proud in that moment were. It was incredible to be there in Canberra and to see it all. It's going to be a busy year in 2018. I think it was a real watershed moment in 2017. We were able to achieve marriage equality, but um, we were also involved in a court case that meant that um, stage two treatment for transgender teenagers um, no longer require court authorization where there's no controversy. That was also a big win, and we also had wins across a lot of states like South Australia and Queensland with expungement um, and with reforming a whole range of LGBTI laws. So... Looking ahead for 2018, there is still a lot that needs to be done. Even though marriage equality is really fantastic for lots of people, it hasn't actually helped intersex people who still face medically unnecessary surgeries um, because of how they were born and because of their biological sex characteristics. Could you just describe what is going on, the current situation, and what you're trying to get, legally speaking? Yeah, so um, first of all... um, the term intersex is used to describe people with biological sex characteristics that don't fit within medical categories of male or female. Um, and there's lots of different um, types of intersex variations. It's really, it's really diverse. But the issue that intersex advocates have been advocating for is about um, some intersex children and young people who are born with, um, for example, with um, internal gonads or with... Um, genitals that don't fit within you know, male or female, medical norms of male or female, um, and who undergo surgeries before they're of a nature they can consent to those surgeries. And there's lots of long-term psychological impacts, but also physical um, consequences that intersex people who have surgeries when they're young have to live with. And um, it's not the right decision for a lot of intersex people for these surgeries to occur, especially without their knowledge or consent. This is an issue that hopefully will... Um, more people become aware of this year. Do you expect that to be quite a tough legal battle? Like, legally speaking, what are the issues? Yeah, yeah, I think it will be a difficult issue. Um, there's a real difference of opinion between the medical profession who say that early surgery is um, better for intersex children and infants because then they don't remember essentially the trauma of having to go through surgery and then they can be grow up and socialise um, just as a boy or just as a girl. Um, and there's a difference between that opinion and the, the opinion of the intersex advocates who say that this is human rights abuse. Um, they say that every person should have the right to decide um, what happens to their body and whether surgery occurs on their body and that 
um, there's no reason for the surgeries to be early, except for psychosocial reasons, except that our society, society can't accept um, little girls and little boys who um, don't look like um, what um, society thinks they should look like and that there's no harm for waiting until um, intersex kids are of an age where they can make the decisions for themselves and what they want their bodies to look like and how they want to be raised. And um, what role do parents currently play? And this is the interesting thing as well. So most parents, um, when they you know, embark on uh, the journey into parenthood, don't really think about what will happen if they're born with a child with an intersex variation. And so um, in a lot of cases, they don't know, um, they don't understand, they've never heard of it before. Um, and so they do the, what they think is in the best interest of their child, which often because they don't have a lot of information out there is taking the medical advice of the doctors in most cases. Transgender people can't change the, the gender marker on their birth certificates um, unless they divorce their spouse. There's this unmarried requirement that doesn't really fit with marriage equality, so that's something that we still need to work on in every state and territory except for South Australia and the ACT. Trans and um, gender diverse people in Australia, um, they just want to be um, able to be recognised for who they are. And currently we have these really old-fashioned laws um, that make them jump through all kinds of legal hurdles just to access ID that says that they are who they are. So, um, for example, one of um, my old uh, clients would speak about how it was really embarrassing and humiliating um, that she lived as a, a woman and that everyone thought that she was a woman, but actually her driver's license still had that M on there saying that she was male. Um, and so she would use her driver's license when she would go to the pub with her uni friends to get access to the pub. And she'd always have this horrible moment where, um, you know, she would have to explain to the security guard that actually, you know, she was um, she was a woman um, and that she just wasn't able to change um, her birth certificate because, you know, for various reasons. And what ended up happening was she started self-selecting out of situations. So she started um, not attending events because she thought, you know, I just can't go through that humiliating experience. Um, and particularly for younger trans people at periods of their life where they're going through all of those stages um, that everyone else goes through, you know, like getting their driver's license, like applying for work, you know, going out. Um, these are the points where um, they can have really horrible social interactions with people uh, where they have to explain who they are and they feel that real disjunct between how they see themselves and how their, their friends and loved ones see them and treat them um, and how broad a society and how our legal system treats them. And what are your expectations of the complexity of the challenge to, to change that? It's going to be a big uphill battle. Um, as we were involved in some birth certificate reforms of the last couple of years and South Australia was able to move to a place where they um, remove some of the legal barriers so that trans people could be recognised for who they are. Um, but we, in Victoria, a, a similar bill, actually probably a more of an international, international best practice bill, failed because it, it couldn't get through the upper house. And there's still lots of this issue when you talk to people about it um, there's a lot of discomfort and a, a lot of lack of understanding about what it means. Um, and this is just because we need to um, move to a place where people really understand that um, this isn't, uh, you know, some way of, uh, you know, um, trying to get any kind of special privileges or anything like that, that this is really about trans people 
getting the same recognition for who they are that other people can already get in our society. It's just that, you know, people who are cisgender um, were born and they have their ID reflecting the gender that they were born as, but um, trans and gender diverse people just happen to be born and, you know, when they grow up, it means that there's this mismatch between um, who people thought they were at birth and who they actually are and how they live their life. Um, there's lots of other issues as well that I haven't had a chance to get to. You know, there's still states and territories that um, need to pass adoption equality laws uh, and relationship recognition laws and equal access to IVF and surrogacy. Um, and there's also issues about, um, you know, states and territories that haven't yet passed laws um, allowing uh, people who were convicted of, homo you know, buggery and homosexual sex offences from before it was decriminalised to have these removed from their records. So... There's still a lot to be done in the LGB space as well. Yeah, the Northern Territory and Western Australia are, are two where there are, you know, um, there's a lot to be done, but what's really fantastic is that they've already started and they've made commitments um, to do so. So the Northern Territory currently has an adoption equality bill that's been tabled that will hopefully be voted on early this year. And the Northern Territory is the last state to look at adoption equality. So if they pass this bill, it means that we'll soon have adoption equality across all of Australia. Um, which means, you know, couples can um, equally adopt children, depending, you know, if they're, you know, same-sex married couple, if they're an opposite-sex de, de facto couple. Um, and uh, Western Australia has also recently, at the end of last year, they made a formal state apology to um, people who had been convicted of consensual same-sex offences from before homosexuality was decriminalised in Western Australia. And WA was the second last state to decriminalise, so there's actually quite a, a number of, of people in that category. Um, and they've also tabled an expungement bill to enable these people to be able to remove um, their convictions from their criminal records. They don't continue to face discrimination or um, you know, differential treatment because of it. Um, we run a, a free expungement legal service at the Human Rights Law Centre, and we've assisted um, a number of clients to have their records cleared and it's, it's incredible how many times it's come up again and again in their in their lives these criminal convictions and um, you know when you know wanting to become a teacher or you know wanting needing to be registered as an accountant wanting to go overseas but you know having this criminal record meaning that you can't get a visa um you know wanting to volunteer you know wanting to become an uber driver there's just so many situations in which we take for granted the fact that um you know people who have a criminal record which has a sex offense on it even though it was the consensual sexual activity, can really get in the way of living your full life. Oh, so not only is it criminalising, um, it's actually a sex offence, yeah. You might have a criminal record which has a minor offence, you know, maybe, you know, something relatively minor on it, um, but because these were classified as sex offences, it means that for all of the criminal record checks, they're classified as sex offences. And really, when you look at sex offences, all of the other sex offences that we have today are all about um, non-consent, that you know, child sex offences, you know, that that you know, sexual assault, they're really they're treated really seriously. But this was about consensual sexual activity, but they're they're treated in the same category for all of these criminal record checks. A two-day national conference held last week in Melbourne Town Hall, entitled "Better Together 2018," 
was a gathering from across Australia of mostly grassroots groups and led by the newly formed Equality Project. Lee was there and I asked her to tell me more about it. This is the first time that the LGBTI community has gotten together nationally for this kind of thing. So even though the No campaign has really professionalised and built their databases and really increased their funding base, um, this was kind of a, a way for the you know, the Yes campaigners or the LGBTI campaigners to get together and talk about how we might better work together and coordinate our efforts into the future. Um, obviously, you know, the, the formal Yes campaign, the Equality campaign, they don't have any staff anymore. Um, so, you know, we don't have that same kind of infrastructure that we built up moving ahead with these kinds of issues. So it's really important that we talk about what we can do on, you know, a shoestring budget with um, all of our volunteers, as most of the LGBTI community organisations are on. What were the outcomes to the conference, or is it too early to say? I think we're still trying to figure out exactly what the outcomes from the conference are. I think there were some fairly broad themes that we could agree on. Um, Firstly, um, the LGBTI community post-marriage equality needs to work together to make sure that you know, um, we don't leave behind trans and gender diverse and intersex people in their less visible but just as important struggles that they're facing in their lives. Um, and also that, you know, maybe there's some way that we could organise together. But um, I think we're really um, excited about the successes of last year and hopeful that um, Australia is becoming a more inclusive and accepting society where, um, you know, people are treated with dignity and respect for who we are. Um, and we're really hopeful that we can move to a place where LGBTI people no longer have to fight to be treated um, equally under the law and to have our rights to, you know, all of our human rights equally respected. Sometimes I'm so to learn more about the Equality Project, you can go to theequalityproject.org.au. Thanks to Lee Carney of the Human Rights Law Centre and Karen Field of Queer Space and Drummond Street Services for our interviews today. You can find links to their work and more info at 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. Women on the Line is a national women's current affairs programme made for community radio. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation.